0: Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, coming to you from the isolation of our homes. Priceless menus, marmageddon, recipes as scripture, and branding decisions. Hello, Joshna.
1: Hi, Mirella. How are you?
0: I'm well. Yeah.
1: Things are pretty, yeah, this is also having a pretty good week. Uh, Slow and steady. Yes, slow and steady, that's exactly it. And getting used to different things is still happening, but so far, so good.
0: It's a new normal, that's for sure.
1: That is it. What are we chatting about?
0: We're talking about something, actually, that is not normal. And that I was shocked to learn about. And I think, I don't know what was more shocking to me, the fact that it existed or the fact that I had never... Heard about it before. Okay, that sounds okay. like something, and certainly is something you had heard of. Yep. What I learned was that it used to be common practice in uh, parts of Europe and parts of the U.S. for high-end establishments to have a special menu for ladies. Yes. And already, just the word, the use of the word "ladies," 100%. makes my skin crawl. It's gross. Um, yes. So it was called the ladies' menu, mm-hmm. and it was an identical menu. To the the normal menu except it had no prices yes because of course the lady was not going to be paying so no. she didn't have to bother her pretty little head about you know how much this might be costing the other right. person she should just be able to freely choose whatever she wanted to eat uh-huh. and the idea that these are as far as i can see we're still lingering up to about 10 years ago
1: in, in Europe, in, in places, parts of Europe? Clearly, I'm
0: not eating in the in the right establishments. Yes, in part, in parts. Clearly, clearly
1: you're not.
0: Um, and then, so this, I found out about this through a, a, an online write-up. And the, the, what this write-up was talking about specifically was a lawsuit in the 80s, which was the catalyst for this to no longer be a thing mm. in the US. Okay. And uh, what I found, oh my God. Where to start? Where mm-hmm. to start? Let's just say that uh, this businesswoman went out to treat her business partner, who was not a woman, mm-hmm. to a meal, and they sat down, and she was handed the ladies' menu, and oh he was handed the other menu, whereas mm-hmm. she was the one who was going to pay. Uh, they left without even ordering because she was so shocked. But she <laughs> she she called the restaurant to ask what was up with this menu. Did you just catch this yes, part of the article. I did. I did. And uh, the restaurant's argument was because a woman is a woman is a woman. <laughs> I remember that.
1: And I was like, I have, I have no idea what that means.
0: How do you argue with that?
1: I, I have no, I don't, I don't, I can't even understand it. I don't know. I don't know what that means at all.
0: So you were aware that this was a thing.
1: I was, I was, I've seen them. Uh, I feel like maybe I learned about this as a culinary student. Okay. When we did a, course on menus specifically i think that that was where it showed up uh, to me and this idea that this was a practice uh right and i was always so curious about it because we see like in popular culture and in movies right when when in this very cliche stereotypical context it needs mm-hmm. to be said right but like so a, a, a young man has asked a young woman out on a date And they go to the restaurant and the young man is like broken a piggy bank open and done all of these things to fill his pockets to the brim Mm -hmm. uh, because he knows that she is going to order the lobster. Right. Right. Or that the point of this is that she is going to order the lobster and he's going to have to pay for it. And this is just how it is. Right. So that like that cultural trope, I suppose, is quite familiar to all of us. Um, And then, but then but I started... I you know. Yeah. If she's
0: only ever seen a ladies' menu, maybe she doesn't know that the lobster is the oh, most expensive Oh, honey, it's the item. truth. That's a very fair point. <laughs> it
1: could just be an but, innocent
0: mistake on her part. I know,
1: I love... I wish people could see your fluttering eyelashes <laughs> as you're saying that. <laughs> um, and so, listen, when I was a student and we were learning about this, I was curious about where this came from, right? Mm. And what was behind this. Because it's not just uh, gender imbalance and misogyny, right? Like it's not, it's not just that what else is happening here. Mm -hmm. And so the most like, uh, compassionate or charitable reading of this is that it emerged in a time in our history when a woman's job really was to find herself a good husband. Right. Right. And, and the way a man deemed himself a good husband, clearly at the top of the list was a pile of money. Right. And so uh, a woman would, would go out with a man. I don't know if they called it a date with some sort of introduction with the mother and the, and the sister, you know, are in the table yes. three, you know, three stages away or something
0: with a chaperone. Yeah.
1: Precisely. Right. But that he, if he was able to even take her to an establishment that had a ladies menu, that was yeah. a very encouraging piece. Right. And, and you would, and, and I feel like I remember, Just like movie scripts and things being like, oh, you went to the Savoy or you went to, you know what I mean, Love, whatever it is, because they knew that that was that place and he could afford to take you there was a really good signal that this one is worth paying attention to.
0: Well, it's interesting that you have this perspective. Yes. Because it, it does seem to have been seen. Uh, really less as misogyny and more as some form of chivalry. Right. And right. what was particularly interesting to me in learning about this was that in the 80s, when this woman who stormed out of the place and was told, you know, ladies' menus have to exist because a woman is a woman is a woman, <laughs> right. uh, decided to sue the restaurant, public opinion was entirely against her. And right. basically they were saying, you know, it's just like you know, opening the door for a woman or, yes. or lighting her cigarette. You know, what's yes. going to what happen next? Are we going to get rid of chivalry altogether? Nice. And I, I, I was, I'm, this is the
1: eighties. Uh, it's not that long ago. We were alive and uh, like aware conscious people. Yeah. Uh,
0: so yeah, I guess that it makes sense in the context of what you're saying, which is that, you know, that's what these establishments were about. And, you know, I, I'd, I'd be interested to know if there are some people who would maybe not like to see the practice back as ladies' menu, but to see the practice right, back as, a you know, maybe menu the, a guest yeah. menu yeah. or something. But listen, I like have to but, tell
1: you, yeah, for, I've been really surprised. I've had conversations with my friends, my female friends, who are all in their like early 40s, right, yeah. as I am, or late, you know, late 30s. And the ones who are single, I've been very, very uh, surprised at the number of them who still firmly believe that regardless of who asks who out on a date, that the man should pay for dinner.
0: Interesting,
1: right? And these are women like who have jobs and who are competent, independent, financially, you know, successful people. Uh, but there's there's a principle and a culture and a tradition thing here, which I am not that connected to. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, that's not a thing for me at all. Uh, and and they're just like it is not proper if mm-hmm. this doesn't happen. I'm like,
0: huh. All interesting. Right. I know. And yeah, these the- are women from whom
1: otherwise I, I, they don't really pay much attention to what's proper. So it's curious for me that this has stuck with them somehow, you know?
0: Yeah. That is very interesting mm-hmm. to learn. Yeah, but that- uh, you know, this is just also foreign to me anyway. You know, as I was reading this, uh, I was thinking about all of these small gestures of which having a, a ladies menu, you know, it was, you know, it was seen as hospitality back then. Yes, yeah, yes, of that ad- Additional touch that they could do, uh, and I think we've had this conversation. This is all stuff that drives me nuts. Like if mm-hmm. I go to an establishment and I leave the table to go to the washroom, I come back and my napkin has been folded for me, I am never coming back again.
1: Yeah, that uh, I remember being surprised yeah. at how angry I that made you.
0: I just, to me, that's someone saying, "Oh, you, you left you, you know, you left your napkin in an unsightly." way so let us just fix that oh so, you. so, so you're not you, drink, you that as bad uh, a and b I... what is why is someone touching something that i'm bringing to my mouth oh, those are the two pieces right. there but any you know, anything like that I, I i do not enjoy uh i do not enjoy you know getting to a a hotel and i'm paying the taxi and I turn around and my luggage is gone. It's like, where's my, oh, someone took it in for you. It's like, I can carry my own yes. luggage. Yes. I don't, all these little things make me uncomfortable. How do you feel? And I don't, Yeah. some of it is definitely sexism and some of it is just my temperament. So I, I all that to say, I don't know where I would land on this.
1: How um, do you feel about the toilet paper being folded into a point in a hotel?
0: Before I get there? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Or when they redo the room?
1: Or when they do it, when they make up the room. Yeah.
0: I think that would be okay.
1: Because I feel- like the napkin fold yeah. when you go to the bathroom is the spirit is the same as the folding the toilet paper in between uses it's less of a scolding and more of a in between uses let me let me let you have the freshest experience of this thing again
0: right i mean that's, i do enjoy a, getting to the table and my uh my serviettes a little small yes. or a little origami yes so potentially they may not
1: they uh, may not go far start- Want, but I think that picking the, the napkin up from the seat yeah. and refolding it and putting it on the table is the same spirit of the, like, let me give you as fresh an experience of your table setting. Okay.
0: Possible. Let me float this one by you now. because This is another one that makes me, but we're going on a tangent, but yeah, we are, but I like it. Yeah. My, my plates being changed between every course. If I'm doing a, like a tasting. Uh, a tasting yeah. Um, I really don't like that. And what I, dislike even more is that in my experience 100% of establishments that do that will not leave the the plate for me if I ask if I say I'm sorry it's making me uncomfortable that you're changing my plate between every course can I please keep my plate it's a, I get a no
1: uh tell me tell me because the thing is the food comes plated
0: no, so this is a situation where we're sharing, like there's, you know, it, we're sharing the, uh, what's it called when it's like a... a like a little tapas prefix, or something like that? The prefix, whatever, the the menu that's okay. a, a, bunch of, yeah. uh, a bunch of small things. You no, know, it has another name when it's a small, because sm- prefix is just, it can be it's yeah, yeah. This yeah. is the one where it's, you know, all of the fun stuff that the chef wants to bring. It's usually like five to eight dishes, okay. a lot of smaller things. And uh, most often when I go with someone they, there's a sharing plate. And then we each get our plates. Right. Um, and it's our plates that they also swap out. And I always right. get, well, cause the flavors are intermingle and then I, and they keep swapping my plate out. So then I start eating directly off of the common plate and they yeah. still swap my plate out. And then, like I said, I'm just never going there. Again.
1: I will <laughs> agree with you that that feels like more of an obsession around the fr- I think it's the same spirit though about the freshness each time right and the brand I just new- feel like
0: if I've asked and I've voiced that I would prefer to have the same plate I don't understand how I'm cramping the establishment you might be standing in the so way
1: of the, of the of the of the taste in the mouth right yeah if you've got a smudge of the carrot sauce still on that plate and then you put the scallop dish on top of that carrot sauce as a cook I, I no thanks Right. And we talk about this at events all the time when we think about not using disposable things and having a plate that people move around with. The Mm -hmm. environmental argument is uh, I am sold. It makes perfect sense. But Mm -hmm. what I can't get over is there's no way ever that I would want to plate my dish on the dirty plate of someone else's dish. Got it. Never, ever, never will I ever want to Mm-hmm. uh I, I gotta I've gotta or or at least you give me a corner you take one corner and give me another you know
0: uh, an empty maker, corner that's what they're called tasting
1: a maker. tasting right you give me another corner that is that is a, a clean corner of the plate yeah well, I'll I will alone, conscientiously right? do
0: that I but I I'll will conscientiously do that. Like I said, I, I will start just eating off the dish that it came off of and not yes. even touching my plate. My plate is clean and they still, sw- at, at this point we've had yeah. the conversation they're still swapping it out passive aggressively. It's happened to me enough times that I know it's a, it's, it's a not thing. like a restaurant specific thing. It's right. a, it's some kind of, it, it is a, you know, I like what we're saying, like the ladies menu, like the folding of the napkin. It is mm-hmm. some kind of hospitality uh, etiquette.
1: I completely agree. Uh, it's true, but I, I like I like, like that I this is so crazy? impassioned. No, uh, no, am, I, am no. I crossing
0: into crazy in your eyes? No, no,
1: not at all. <laughs> I appreciate how much attention you pay to things it, like well, this. Well,
0: it's environmentally driven in in that case. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, the dishwashing, of course. Anyway, ladies' menus.
1: Ladies' menus. <laughs>
0: Josh, now we're going to talk about Marmite again. Yeah. If you don't yeah. mind. Uh, not at all. Marmite <laughs> has made its way into my mouth and my heart ever since we talked about it before, for sure. Uh, this this time, though, it, it's with some, some sad news, some Indeed. unfortunate news. It's not tragic, uh, all things considered. But I was amused to find out that there is a Marmite shortage what? due to the fact that uh, breweries in the UK are suffering a lot. Um, due to the COVID and the isolation measures, they're not producing as much. And Marmite is actually made from spent yeast from Come the brewing on. process. Right. And I was, I knew that Marmite was traditionally made from spent yeast. I have to say Marmite belonging to Unilever. It did not right. occur to me that they are still going to breweries yeah. and reusing yeast as opposed to just creating something in house that, I mean, I'm sure they could find a way to, to replicate uh, to, yeah. to replicate that. And that just, that was just awesome to me to know uh, that, I, that's I'm still happening.
1: You. I'm with you. And the thing that really blew my mind was the notion that it was this like real time usage, right. That they, that, that it's so close Like the, 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 the spent yeast comes from a brewery and is used that immediately that in the three months that, you know, or so that we've been in lockdown, we've seen enough time passed that this is a real thing, that the shortage of this has, has impacts, legitimate impacts on global supply. I thought that was very encouraging. I have to say, I mean, I'm sorry, all the people who are desperately trying to get their hands on this stuff.
0: And they're panicking.
1: They really are panicking. (laughs) Although... I have to say one of the, one of the photos was of this, like, it was almost like a, like a one liter squeeze bottle or like Mm -hmm. a 500 mil squeeze bottle. And as somebody who has had to play with this, I was like, I can't imagine negotiating a squeeze bottle of Marmite.
0: That's true. That's a hefty dose.
1: And how much Marmite is still left in that squeeze bottle at the, you know, at the end with the no more squeezes and the. And the farty air sounds. Yeah. uh, Right? Because you, at least with that little jar, you can get your spoon or your finger on the inside to clean it, you know, completely. Mm -hmm. Um, But people are freaking out, which is extraordinary. Like, it's amazing to watch.
0: It it is. And it's funny because I've been talking to people about this. And uh, obviously, they're bringing up alternatives. Right. Because there is uh, Vegemite. Have you had Vegemite? I have. And I will say... Uh, no thanks. It's not quite the same, babe. Eh? No thanks. Uh,
1: it's not the same funkiness, right? That the, the the way that yeastiness grows with whatever creature is involved is, in my mind, more. They they don't quite get the umami that we need in the vegemite. I don't.
0: think. Yeah, the ingredients are quite similar, but they're different enough that it's a. It really is a. I mean. Within the spectrum of these spreads, it is a a, a really dramatic difference. I think, so. I, I think it's, so. It's it's big enough that I've certainly made the conscious decision that i And without
1: the nuance, I think one of the one of the things that I loved about marmite is how nuanced it is. Right, the way it hits your tongue and the way it finishes. There's something
0: more elegant about it. Hundred
1: percent. Hundred percent.
0: So did you know though that there's a Brazilian version? No, it's called uh, and uh, my. Portuguese is not solid enough, so it's either Cenovit or Senovit, C E N O V I T. Okay. And I just found out there's a Senovis in Switzerland, which is huge.
1: Oh. And
0: like, how fascinating, because a marmite was created in 1902, and this one in uh, Switzerland was created in 1931. So these are. You know, somewhere along the line, in various places, people realized there's a lot of nutritional value in spent yeast. Right. How can we turn this into something delicious? And they've turned it into a spread. Um, But here's something I wanted to share with you. I have actually a buddy in Switzerland who's mailed some to (gasps) me for scientific purposes. Oh, thank you. Because Chenevis, they have their regular version, which is already 20% less salty than Marmite. So already I'm a little skeptical. Sure. But brace yourself. They make an unsalted version.
1: Oh, no. Oh. Oh, God. I can't even imagine.
0: Right? No. Is it, is no. It, to me, salt is the delight in 100%. Marmite. So That's I what hits you so first. I am so curious. Oh. It, it seems wrong, right? I 100%. But it could just be a delightful umami bomb. I mean, maybe,
1: but part of what the salt does is help to pull the juices mm-hmm. right so i'm just and already we talk about there being this mouth paralysis remember we talked about the mouth paralysis on the marmite yeah so if we're gonna have a version of this thing without the the the, the, the juices that is already so slick ugh, i
0: don't know i i'm i'm just so excited that it's in the mail because oh. i you know whenever i hear about something that i that sounds wrong to me. I need to taste it. So
1: <laughs> I can't wait. I look forward to revisiting uh, all of
0: this when that shows up. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I'll have some left once this insanity is done, and we can meet up for
1: ah, a little. I love it. Salt-free
0: Marmite uh, <laughs> equivalent.
1: All right. I would like to talk about recipes. Yes. You know that I write them often. I've written a cookbook. Um, and so I love thinking about recipes, where they come from, all that sort of thing. And so I found this really sweet piece about recipes. Um, and one of the things I really loved about what the author did was made a parallel between recipes and scripture. Mm -hmm. I hadn't made this connection before, right? I know that there is, uh, that people are really serious about tradition and they want, you know, I mean, grandmother's recipes or, you know, things that are passed down through many, many generations. Um, But I I don't consider enough what it feels like for people to move away from. I am constantly tinkering with recipes. And so I don't. Yeah, me too. I don't have the same adherence, you know what I mean? Or reverence, I think, for not Mm -hmm. messing with the thing. And it was curious to see that that, uh, the author, in the context of him doing way more home cooking with his life in quarantine, um, that he is sort of like daring to to break some rules and do something different and i was like oh this is fascinating particularly with the with the parallels uh around religion Mm -hmm. um and and i haven't understood the degree to which people consider a recipe a rule right right or a really fixed thing because i always when i'm teaching i'm always telling people a recipe is just the way one person thought of things should taste at one moment in time
0: right I think most people know that. You don't think so? Well,
1: I don't know, because then there's other, like, is that really a cocovan? Who's beef bourguignon recipe? We want Mario Batali's pasta sauce. Right. Right? It's, we have that, like, and don't mess with it. And then I have also, even just my own sort of family traditions, it's like, no, you can't. We never make that curry with bones in the meat. You can't do that with bones and you know what I mean? And you can't. Right. no, 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 no. This is made this way all the time. Don't mess with it so it turns out exactly the same every time. Uh, yeah. there's a lot of that, right? There's a, there's a lot of that.
0: That's true. It makes sense. I guess for me, I read this article a little bit differently. Okay, and, let's hear it. Uh, I did feel that this the person who was writing it was saying, you know, we shouldn't be so strict with our recipes and we mm-hmm. should make it, them clear make it clear that there's some flexibility there. But for me, it it's really about well, as you, I hadn't considered intent, but it can be about intent. So definitely, if you're making the traditional, who knows what that's been in the family forever, mm-hmm. you're you're gonna piss some people off if you, you know, if it's a remix, uh, yeah. Yeah, a traditional meal, and it's the, the same thing we have on this day every year. And now mm-hmm. you've gone and added raisins. How yeah, or we've seen it That's with, like, kung
1: yeah. in Thanksgiving dinners and yeah, things like yeah. that. So it's
0: so, like, yeah. it's that I hadn't considered. But to me, the idea of recipes really is is for beginners or oh. for venturing into new territory. Okay, so, okay. So, you know, if I'm just cooking at home... I will definitely make things up. I improvise. I'll, you know, maybe look at a recipe for some inspiration and then I'll take two or three things from that and, and mess around. But if I'm going into, you know, something like, for example, if I'm baking, uh, you know, when this this author did mention baking, but I, I will disagree with the author. They said, you know, obviously, if you're baking, you have to follow the recipe and, I, I don't bake a lot. So when I mm-hmm. do, I follow the recipe. But I have a close friend who bakes a lot. And, she, you know, she'll just be like, ah, I'm going to get rid of this yogurt, put applesauce in instead. Totally. But like things yep. that, right? So uh, to me, it's a comfort level thing. And what I saw in this article was someone crossing from being a recipe follower to, you know, having cooked more often and realizing oh, that flexibility that. Okay, is okay. there. And so to me, I don't, I don't really think it's necessary to... Put it in the recipe that there's room to play right you know for me i equate that with when i don't know if this has ever happened to you sometimes you go clothing shopping and you're looking at a shirt and you're you know you're trying it on they'll be like you mm-hmm. can wear this with jeans or with a skirt yes, it's, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> yes thank you yes, yes. i know what a shirt is the versatility that's uh, right yes, that's i right. i you know i uh, am aware all of the is. other you know yeah. like, i've been around long enough um so i just to me this, this suggestion that recipes sh- should, uh, I mean, I th- I think there is some value for sure in letting a beginner know like this recipe calls for sour cream, but you can use yogurt instead, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, just to start introducing that idea. But, yep. you know, I think, the, you know, the purpose of recipe is to be a departure point. Uh, and, you know, for someone who's venturing into n- a new area or into something new, you you want to do something that's tried, tested and true. Yep.
1: right? It's confidence boosting for sure. Uh, that's awesome. I like but that. That's it was definitely that's a, a lot
0: interesting thing to think about.
1: Yeah, I, I was really interested in all the different perspectives, uh, and I really dug how uh, the, the the deliciousness for some folks of breaking the rules. Yes, right. With just go for it. Put an extra clove. Well, of that's garlic. when it becomes go fun. Go for it. Yeah. Right. That's,
0: and that's what I think. Whereas when I'm sharing a recipe with someone, I will we usually drive them nuts because it will just be a list of ingredients. Yes. I don't have, I don't have proportions just, yeah. you know, just do it. Go for it. <laughs> right. Uh, and so now I've learned if it's a beginner, just sort of give them an idea, give them and the structure then as they yeah. get, as they dive in, they'll find that comfort level, but uh, definitely interesting thing to, to ponder and kind of cool to see someone having that moment of, the, that blossoming moment. Yes. Yeah.
1: Super Nice. Okay, Marella. Uh, in this in this intense moment in time that we are in, with um, with the conversations about racism and anti-racism really uh, all over our collective space, mm-hmm. uh, there the the trickle down of how everybody is responding is quite curious, particularly the way corporations are choosing to respond yes. to the issue. Right. So one of the things that we are seeing is finally. Uh, they have realized that the visual image of Aunt Jemima, right, who is a Black woman on a container of um, syrup, definitely not maple syrup, uh, and I think there's like biscuit or pancake mix as well, uh, is a problem, right? And it is yeah. now she is being reworked. as uh, coming off, rethought. The entire thing is being rethought. Uh, and we're seeing a ripple of it, right? Also Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben's is another one easily to point at right with some really problematic um images
0: cream yeah cream
1: of wheat perfect right really and essentially we're talking about the persistence of images that sort of relegate uh black people to this, this sort of uh, indentured and domestic uh service people and help mm-hmm. you know and it really sort of it's just it's it's a stereotype for so many reasons um and it's been a real problem uh, i've always had questions Right. Whenever I've seen it, I've always been like, "Really? Huh? We're still getting t- in in the year 2000 and whatever. We're still rolling with this." Uh, has yeah. been, uh, you know. I've always been super curious about how what, we're all right with it.
0: What struck me in learning about this was these small steps that they've taken throughout the years, right? right with the, the incremental, mom, right? Uh, specifically, to you know, first take the handkerchief off. Right, her head, and replace it with a headband, and then a couple of years later, they added pearl earrings. Yes. As if this, and it's interesting because I was not aware that you know Aunt Jemima is an old minstrel song, and you know there, there's very you know yes. real, real problematic roots. But by the time I would have been seeing her on the, you know, by the time I was doing my own grocery shopping and I was seeing her on the bottle, she would have already have had her headband and her earrings. Yes, but I always yes. knew instantly looking at her that she was some kind of servant. I didn't think yeah. she was someone's aunt. No, no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, so it's just very entertaining to me that they thought, you know, Oh, we'll just make these small tweaks and then it'll yeah. be, it, it and we'll take the, the
1: you know what I mean? The the, the 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 nasty mark of slavery out of this conversation somehow. Yeah.
0: And what's even more fascinating to me is how do they manage to make those tweaks and yet still keep her looking like
1: Right. It's, you know, yeah. like
0: they that's a that's a That's effective use of the focus group, to, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and the So there is uh, this
1: rolls down and yeah. it's everywhere because I saw with a lot of curiosity. That our friends at Johnson & Johnson are doing the same thing for their Band-Aids, right? So it's not about a stereotypical image, but that we are finally going to get some Band-Aids in a variety of skin tones. Now, listen, let the record show. I think there are other smaller companies who have been playing this game for a while Mm -hmm. and more skin tone appropriate uh, colors. Uh, But the fact that Johnson & Johnson has jumped in and been like, hey, guess what? You're all different colors. Let's give you Band-Aids that uh, reflect that. Uh, Great, right? Long Mm -hmm. overdue.
0: Long overdue. And I think all really m- much more impactful and significant gestures than just putting out a statement.
1: I agree. I agree. You know, and um, it's
0: tragic that it's taken this long for this to happen. But you know, this imagery is everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, it is, I think, on some level damaging. And there, you know, yeah, sure. Rebrand is a bit of a bit of a knob uh, but you know what a you know it's a you know, small gesture I think so I think, too but an important uh, one, one. That, that is impactful in a very small way
1: one of the things that I cannot let go of however mm-hmm. is that it is, it is a sort of lightning speed that they all seem to be, have come up with all of this right mm. This is a matter of about a couple of weeks you know that they have put this all together uh, and announced, you know, and and with the Instagram posts and all of it, which just has me thinking that all this time, because you know, all this time when you see this persist, you're like, oh, maybe, maybe it's just some really big challenge to do this. You know, maybe this is really hard. It's really difficult to actually change it. But to watch the speed with which they are they pulled this off just really confirms to me that they never really cared about it in the first
0: well, place. Well, prepare to be depressed. Yeah, because I did a little digging.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, and
0: they've. Uh, on the, on the Aunt Jemima piece specifically and they are very, they were been very aware that it's an issue. Yeah. A number of black artists have sure. uh, made works to protest the the brand. There have been uh, um, black activists who've been very outspoken about it mm-hmm. and I believe it was in 2016 like a couple of years ago they realized they really didn't needed to do the rebrand and uh, I think Aunt Jemima belongs to Pepsi,
1: and just okay. around
0: when they were thinking of doing the rebrand, there was a big uh issue with a, a TV ad with Kylie Jenner. Oh that yes, received yes. as being uh yeah, it, was pretty, it was pretty was,
1: ridiculous. Yes, I
0: I don't remember that ad. I didn't yeah. see it, but with the climate of that, they decided to pull back on this rebranding, uh. and you know, it's it's worse than they didn't get around to it. Essentially, they just said, you know, Aunt Jemima is selling really, really well. We don't want to mess with the brand and we don't want to make a huge deal because we're already seen as having this problem. We're not going to call attention to this problem on one hand. And on the other hand, we're not going to spend any money marketing it because if we market it, then it'll be on people's radar again. And we'll just try to just stay under the the radar. So they were, you know, they've been poised and ready to do this for a long time and, you know, weren't doing it. For some pretty icky reasons, I think. Yeah, well, I mean,
1: oh, my God, it's, that is disappointing. Uh, and I guess further evidence that we need not look to corporations for any sort of uh, moral leadership.
0: If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us at patreon.com slash hotplate pod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HotPlatePod. Follow me at Birology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Original music by Dave Bell. HotPlate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening.